something was missing in my life. And even though my sisters were gone, they're always part of me. Mm-hmm. And I'm always, they, and they still are. And when I started going through the grieving process and doing the fundraiser and I started sharing them and, and now talking about them and looking at the pictures and the memories are coming back and they are part of my life. They are part of me. They're part of who I am and they're always going to be part of who I am. Welcome to the podcast, Share Your Story, Exploring Humanity One Heart at a Time. I am your host, Jenny Diltz, and I help people convert their grief into growth in their own way and in their own time. This is a podcast where we dive deeply into the stories that make us who we are and show us who we can become. Together, we share real-life experiences of growth through our grief. I can be found at grievingcoach.com. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you don't miss exclusive interviews and some of my own tidbits and insights on grief. Hello, everyone. Today I have with me Judy Lipson. Judy is the sole survivor of three sisters, losing her sister her sister Jane in 1981 at age 22 in an automobile accident, and nine years later her sister Margie at age 35 after a 20-year battle with anorexia and bulimia. For 30 years, Judy suppressed her grief and in 2011 founded Celebration of Sisters, an annual ice skating fundraiser to commemorate the lives and memories of her beloved sisters Margie and Jane to benefit Massachusetts General Hospital. Skating is a sport the Lips and Sisters shared and brought Judy full circle back to her sisters. Judy Lipson published articles for the Open to Hope Foundation, the Centering Organization, Grief Healing, and Love and Loss. Massachusetts General Hospital and Skating Magazine featured pieces on Judy's philanthropic work. Judy has appeared as a guest on the Open to Hope, The Morning Glory, Surviving Sibling Loss, Where's the Grief, Good Grief, and, and the U.S. Figure Skating Voices from the ICE podcasts. She presented at the Compassionate Friends National Conference and will be a keynote speaker at the Bereaved Parents Conference, USA Conference in 2023. Her passion for figure skating secured the recipient of the U.S. Figure Skating Association 2020 Get Up Award. Judy's memoir, Celebration of Sisters, It Is Never Too Late to Grieve, was released November 2021 by Right Life Publishing. Awesome. I'm so glad to have you here, Judy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to hearing more of your story and how your grief experiences have changed over over the 30 years. And I'm also interested in hearing your thoughts on how we can improve bereavement for for surviving siblings, since they are often a forgotten um, population of mourners. So would you like to tackle first how grief has changed over the, my grief over the 30 years, (laughs) actually 40 plus years now? Yeah, well, before we get started, actually, I'd like you to tell us where we can find you. Sure. Um, you can find me on my website, www.judylipson.org. Fantastic. Um, and before we get into your grief, I'd like you actually to start off with a brief overview of background story so that we can get to know you a little bit better. Um, okay, so the first thing um, I say today is that 
on the middle of three sisters and sadly I lost both my sisters. And that's a question I think many siblings struggle with when they lose a sibling or siblings. And that has evolved over the years. And it's a question that when asked, I used to kind of hold my breath. And mm-hmm. we can talk about that a little further. But today I'm a 66th mother of two and two son-in-laws and a grandmother of two, soon to be three. I'm writing a second book that will be fiction and I'm still skating and um, moved out of the city of Boston, moved to South Shore of um, uh, near the Cape. And um, I never dreamed at this point in my life, this is where I'd be today. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about what it's like to lose a sibling. Um, change your identity. I think it's, um, going back to what I said at the beginning, um, it's kind of like you don't, a sibling relationship is something that you never expect that you're going to lose a sibling. You know, your parents, it's a natural evolution that your parents are going to go first. A sibling is somebody that knows you your whole life and that has, um, you're always going to have that relationship with, and you always are going to, who else are you going to talk about your parents with? And it's somebody that you think you're going to live your whole life with. Uh And even if it's a complicated relationship, it's a relationship that's very unique. And in the grieving process, you end up taking care of everybody else and you end up being the forgotten one. And people don't realize the impact of your loss. And because you're taking care of everybody else, your grief ends up taking a back seat. Uh, okay. So that's what happened with you. I think um, that coupled with, I was 25 years old and I also didn't know what grief was. Mm -hmm. I think I was um, in that quote fog that everybody, you know, explains. I went back to work. I had a career in retail and just went on that treadmill, was taking care of my parents. And I just, was probably experiencing grief and didn't know what it was. Mm. So 30 years later, you found grief. Like you found, okay, it's time to grieve now, right? Um, I think periodically throughout the 30 years, I I definitely was grieving through those years, but didn't know what it was. Okay. I mean, because every, um, birthday would come up, every anniversary would come up. And in the Jewish religion, you have the um, Jewish anniversary. And the dates are clumped together because Jane's birthday is the sixth, she died on the seventh, Margie's birthday is the eighth, you have the Jewish holidays in the fall. So that whole period is always very difficult. Of course, Mm -hmm. you have the holidays and the voids there. So there were always these anxiety leading up to these dates or I'd be driving and all of a sudden I would burst into tears or I'd feel my body kind of shake. And I knew that that was the tsunami of the tears, but 
I never talked about it with anybody. I never really, quote, focused or dealt with my grief. Uh-huh. And then in 2011, um, my father was very ill and um, his death was imminent and just things kept happening. I ran into the girl's friends that I knew it was time that I really had a deal with the grief and I took the journey and it was a challenging one, but probably the best gift I could have given to myself. Say more about that. How, um, because often people, when the word grief comes up or the topic of grief, people run away from it. They want to avoid it at all costs. They try and bury it or busy themselves or do anything but grieve. So why would you say that grief is probably the best gift in your life? Facing it because I think it's, um, I think I went through, um, it's always going to be part of me. I don't want to say that it defines me, but it's definitely part of me. How can it not be? I've lost two sisters. And I think it's finding a way that it becomes part of your life, but for me, that it doesn't consume me. Mm-hmm. And finding a way that um, I have days of sadness, I have days of joy, but the, it's all part of love. And I had to work through it, and it's still a work in progress, and it's always going to be a work in progress. Yeah. But finding a way to manage it in my life. And it's very challenging for people to understand that, that I can't just put it in my pocket or put it in a closet and shut the door and forget about it. Mm -hmm. That it's always, it's part of who I am. That's my life. Yeah. I love how you describe that because that's how I, I see grief too. It's like, um, I like to use the metaphor of like an amputation. That that limb is forever gone. You're not getting that limb back. You can, and what you do with that amputation process is up to you. You can moan and complain and be bitter about it your whole life. Or you can learn to live with it, accept it, and incorporate it as part of your life and build your life around it. And any, yeah. any, uh, like anything between those two. And exactly. Guess exactly. And I think for the 30 years, I always felt, and I couldn't understand it. Um, my parents felt it was too painful. So they didn't talk about my sister. So I didn't. And I always felt like something was missing in my life. And even though my sisters were gone, they're always part of me. Mm-hmm. And I'm always, they, and they still are. And when I started going through the grieving process and doing the fundraiser and I started sharing them and, and now talking about them and looking at the pictures and the memories are coming back and they are part of my life. They are part of me. They're part of who I am. And they're always going to be part of who I am. And having them more present in my life and not this, you know, not part of, not that they were never part of my life, but more present in my life mm-hmm. has been 
you know, has helped me so much more. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so it took your dad's death, correct, to finally do the active grief work? Well, within that time frame, it was just, there were so many signs. Um, I ran into one of Margie's friends who um, said, I want to have coffee with you. I want to talk about Margie. And Margie had been sick for 20 years and gone for 20 years. So my knee-jerk reaction was said, no, I can't do this. You know, we haven't Uh talked about Margie. And then I thought about it and I thought, I, I should do this. I think I should do this. And I sat in the car and I was shaking and I said, you know, I don't know if I can can do this, you know. And she said, you know, Margie changed my life. And, you know, Margie was sick for a long time. Um, and but there was still my Margie there. And, you know, I wanted to remember her as my Margie. And I just, you know, that she wasn't forgotten after all these years. And it just like my heart was, I mean, I was, I was hysterical afterwards and, but it was still a part of me was, you know, again, this yin yang of emotions, you know, but yet it warmed my heart that she was still remembered. And then within the same time frame, it was like the God, the stars were aligned. I ran into one of Jane's friends um, and Jane and I were polar opposites. I mean, you know, it's, it, it happens with sisters. She never thought I was cool enough you know I was kind of like a quiet nerdy kid and she was a you know she was very social very partying and you know she um you know for her sweet 16 I had to go in the kitchen I couldn't come out and be with her friends you know (laughs) so she was three years younger Margie was two years older okay so her friend um I ran into her and I reached out to her and I said you know can we meet for coffee and um, the last time I saw Jane was to celebrate my 25th birthday. So my birthday always had a cloud because i that's all I could remember. Yeah. And she said to me, she said, you know what, Judy, you have to start to celebrate your birthday. That's what Jane would want. And that was a turning point. So I started to make new traditions on my birthday. So I didn't have that horrible cloud and, you know, didn't want to celebrate my birthday. Mm-hmm. So it was those two things and my father's loss that I knew was going to be huge. And I'd been seeing a therapist and she kept saying, you know, you really need to work on this grief. And I kept saying, no, 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 no. So it's just all these things kind of coupled together that I figured the time, the time was right to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that, you would have had the same or similar results had you worked on your grief earlier. I really can't answer that, but I know that um, I wish then I at least had another sibling or somebody else that had experienced a sibling loss that I could share my feelings with. Uh huh. Um, you know, you would have, you should have, you could have, but I really can't answer that. Yeah. Um, my parents wanted me to see a therapist that I went to and I have so few memories of that. You know, my memories are very scattered because of all the trauma 
But I remember vividly going to this woman and she didn't even look at me. She took notes. And I just remember that, you know, I just needed somebody to show me some compassion, to hold my hand. Yeah. And so that turned me off to that. Uh-huh. So I'm, obviously I never sure. went back. But I think, you know, I, I think I was young and in shock and grieving and didn't know what grief was and, mm-hmm. um, you know, felt, you know, I had to take care of my parents. Even though I was living in New York and they were in Boston, I felt I had to come home and, you know, you know, be there for them. And Margie was sick. So, you know, there were a lot of factors involved um, that I just... I never took the time to grieve myself. Yeah. Um, how did the grief look differently at the onset and then again years later? Um, so, I mean, it's... So when Jane died and Margie died, I remember like going back to work and I remember walking in and knowing that I was different Uh and my entire body shaking. I remember that. And here I am a grandmother now. So I remember um, with each grandson, the same sort of shakiness so with this grief there's love in which there's joy there's love and experience such a mix of emotions mm-hmm. but the difference is today allowing myself to feel that and it's okay to cry yeah so um going back I went after my first grandson was born. I remember I was off the ice and I went on the ice and I started to shake and I couldn't imagine what was going on. And I was realizing that, you know, the death of my sisters changed my life and this little, the joy of this grandson changed my life. So from one extreme to the other, Mm -hmm. and then my second grandson was born prematurely. So we had to wait and have his bris, which is the Jewish tradition of the circumcision. You have a religious ceremony. Mm -hmm. So it was postponed. And we had that ceremony. I experienced the same, you know, afterwards I came home and I just, you know, felt that same emotion and cried. And it was, again, the bittersweet, you know, that my sisters weren't there, but then the joy of this, you know, family celebration. That's amazing. Um, my brain is a little bit scattered today. Um, what happened? What, like, what was your reaction when you felt the grief, like, in? in the earlier years after your sister's deaths, um, you said you grieved, but you didn't know you were grieving. So how did you react to that grief? 
I think I didn't know. Like I remember, and and so much of it I don't remember so much. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, and I think some of it I think it, I didn't think it was real. Like I was in, um, you know, I'm in a sibling uh, grief book club, and we were, you know, we've talked about this. And I think when you keep talking about it and keep talking about it it makes it seem real and you remember things. So I didn't talk about it and I had nobody to talk about it. Mm. So a part of me just didn't think it was real. Like this can't be my life. So I kept kind of pushing it back and back and down and down and down. But I remember going back to work and I was in retail in the Christmas season and I was sort of I keep saying it's like a fog and I was kind of going through the motions and, you know, I didn't get a chance to stop or rest or do anything, but I remember it for the first, I don't remember how long, but I was sort of like in a fog. Yeah. And by the time Margie died, I was a single mother with two kids, two little children, two small children. And, you know, my we were back living in Boston and with my parents. So I sort of didn't really have time. Um, so I just sort of kept going. Uh-huh. So I didn't really stop. But it kept, and then on these anniversaries, like I said, the anxiety up to the dates, I would just, the emotional exhaustion leading up to these dates. And then the dates would come and somehow you'd get through them until mm-hmm. then you'd wait until the next year. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it just kept going on like that. Was there a safe space for you to grieve? Or not really? I just didn't. I just kept pushing it down and pushing it down and just kept like on a treadmill and just kept mm-hmm. going, going, going like faster on the treadmill and just was so busy that, you know, didn't really have time to think. And that's how, you know, I just almost sort of ran away from it, I guess. It just kept going, going, and going. Uh-huh. So what, um, later when you were meeting with Margie and Jane's friends, what made the difference in, okay, now it's time to face this and, and work with this grief? Um, I guess, you know, I think my father's death and knowing that how difficult that was going to be. I mean, cause he really held the family together oh, okay. and it was going to be, and he and I were very, very close and that was going to be a tremendous loss. Mm-hmm. And I think that it just, the signs with them, it just, it, I, I can't explain it. I just felt that maybe it was a point in my life. I just felt that it was the timing was right. And all these signs, it was just, you know, um, and I think I had tried, you know, groups and I was in a group and some siblings and one of the siblings said that he had gone to a complicated grief study and it just, you know, I flied and I got in and I just felt like everything just was all aligned. The timing was right. Got it. Um, So frequently in grief, we hear something like you should be over it by now. I really hate this phrase. <laughs> and yeah. Like every time I hear it, I like, I almost go into convulsions because 
um, there's no time, there's no specific time or prescribed. Grief has no timeline. And that and closure are the two things that get me um, crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think it's, it's sad because people don't understand grief Mm -hmm. and they don't understand that it's forever. And I think it's just, um, I call it like a tsunami. It comes and goes and you don't know. And it's like I said, it's part of you. And I don't think that, I think that's said by people who don't really understand the process Mm -hmm. and the journey and everybody's journey is different. Um, Even with siblings, our themes are all the same, but um, some people, you know, have to cry every day. Some people don't shed a tear. Some people have to read every everything that's written. Some people don't have to read anything. Some people, you know, have to go to groups. Some people, I'm an introvert, groups. I find groups overwhelming, but I found a book group. I'm a reader. So mm-hmm. a group, you know, that, that works for me now. So I think everybody sort of has to find their landing place and it's different for everybody. And I just think that and like, you know, even when I wrote my book, somebody said, well, did you find closure? And I just, you know, my my blood boils, you know, when somebody says that to me, because there's never any closure. Um, It's it's just I think people just don't understand the process and that's okay. But. Yeah. (laughs) Um. Grief is, it's a journey, it's a process, it's a ongoing transition, transformation, metabolism, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't end. And it also changes you that who knows what I've accomplished where I am today if I hadn't gone through the losses and the grief and would I be out there performing on the ice? Would have I written a book? Would have I, you know, so there's a silver lining too, you know, I mean, it's horrible that I lost these, you know, my sisters and, but um, who knows would I be where I am today? Exactly. Exactly. And I love that you said that. Because that's what I'm most passionate about is finding those silver linings. Yes, grief sucks. Yes, yes, grief hurts. And it lasts a lifetime. And like you were saying, who knows? Would I have accomplished all these amazing things? Would I have created my life the way it is now without these grief experiences? Maybe there's hope. There's hope. And the people that I've met, I'm just, I'm so grateful because the support and, you know, if I had had people to talk to that speak the language, then, you know, maybe it would have looked different, but, you know, so you can't go back. And Mm -hmm. I had a lot of, um, I had to work on a lot of forgiveness and regret for not doing the work sooner. And that was a big piece of 
therapy. And the therapy also was working on the grief and also the restoration. What makes me feel good? Mm -hmm. But that's a big, you know, that was a big piece of it too. Yeah. Are you still in therapy? Um, yeah, not on, you know, very, you know, not on a regular basis, but I am. Mm -hmm. We all need help. Yes. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Um, what was that process like of, of working through the regret, the resentment, the grief, the restoration, like all of those big major changes? Um, I think a piece of me will never get over the regret and never forgive myself. But mm -hmm. I tried, you know, they worked very hard to tell me that, you know, I did the best that I could at the time. Mm -hmm. Um and, you know, I just think that we're always hardest on ourselves. And I think that's, that's the piece that um, I'll probably always live with the rest of my life, but um, it's better. Um, the other piece is um, the restoration. I think, you know, part of taking care of everybody that taking care of yourself is not being selfish. And that's, that's kind of not in my nature and that's still a work in progress. Mm -hmm. I'm not there yet. Mm -hmm. um, and um, the restoration is the ice skating was the one place that I could really empty my head of troublesome thoughts and just being on the ice was my, my meditation, my active meditation where I found joy and I found peace. So, that kind of saved me all through, you know, all the way through. Awesome. And that's why I did the fundraiser. So that's, you know, and there's always hope, you know, and that's what I kept focusing on. That's so cool. Um, so with your ice skating, were you ice skating even right after Margie and Jane's deaths? Or did you take a break from a while, for, for, um, for a while? When Jane died, let me think, I was skating sporadically because I was okay. in New York and Margie died. Um, I probably started a couple years after that because my girls were little. And then when they were old enough, I took them, I started them in lessons. So then I started a little bit back again. Uh -huh. And now it's morphed into this beautiful annual fundraiser. Tell us more about that. Yes. Yeah, so um, I wanted to do something um, to honor Margie and Jane. We've always, our family's always been very philanthropic and um, I didn't want to do like a walk or a dinner or anything because they were fun and I wanted mm -hmm. to do something. So um, we took lessons as kids and, you know, I was never a great skater. Margie was really the skater and Jane kind of, you know, put it along so I had this idea to do the skating fundraiser. So um, it started out very small, 10 skaters, 50 people in the audience. Um, and it mushroomed into 92 skaters and 200 people and raised money for Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. And I never performed or anything like this. And 
I did first two years with a partner. And then the third year, like in my late fifties, I did a solo for the first time ever on the ice. And it's just, um, we did it for a decade. And then I decided that it was kind of time to, you know, let it go. But um, I'm just so proud of the, um, you know, what we did and watching the skaters grow and Margie's friends came, Jane, friends came and the outpouring of support for a decade. I mean, it was really um, very, very, I mean, and I do it in November because that's their birthdays. So it kind of gave me a focus um, so that I didn't, the anniversaries and the birthdays and everything, it gave me something else to focus on. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's hard. And I'm not going to say that I didn't have my meltdowns on the ice or whatever my coach knew, but um, I just felt like it, kind of brought me full circle back to them, you know, and that they, it was kind of the pull that was connecting me to them. And I just, you know, now I don't know because this is the first year I'm not doing it. So it'll be very interesting, but you know, listen, I'm busy. I'm writing, I'm a grandmother. So my life has changed a little bit since Uh (laughs) 12 years ago. Um, So we'll see, we'll see how it goes. What gave you the idea to, like what gave you the idea and the ammunition and the motivation to get started with that? Um, well, I, I wanted to do a fundraiser and, um, you know, like I said, they were fun and it just mm-hmm. seemed like the natural thing to do um, because it's something that we all shared and I wanted to do something, you know, that, that we all shared and give it back, you know, to the community. And, so, you know, it was also my way of sharing them with, you know, everybody, because I'm really a private person. And, you know, now it was sharing them with everybody and that I hadn't talked about them or whatever with anybody. And some people that I met, when they asked me, you know, how many sisters do you have? I would just say me. They didn't even know that I had two sisters. Yeah. So, um you know, and I'm, you know, the hospital told me I had to put a Facebook page and all this. So I shared pictures and I mean, it's so out of my zone. So now everybody, you know, knew them. So that was also very special. That's amazing. How did you get through those bumps of going from a very private person to this is my world, like putting your story and your sisters out into the world? Um, I wanted to help other siblings, which is, was my motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt that, um, if I could help another sibling not feel alone with their grief and know that there's other people out there and, you know, cause I just wish that I had at least one other person to share my, my grief with that. I just felt I really wanted to do that. So that's why I did it. Awesome. And where does your book fit into all of this? Um, so we as we established the fund for the girls back in 1999. Uh-huh. And the doctor had said to me, you need to write about these girls. People need to know who these girls are. And um, I had written a few things for um, the Open to Hope Foundation and the Centering Corporation, just some articles 
And um, so it kind of morphed into people said, you know, you should really write your story. So that's how it kind of evolved. And I just felt that there's not a lot out there for sibling loss, a lot of books and um, specifically about sisters. Mm. So um, again, if it can help somebody, then I, I will be very grateful. Got it. And you mentioned that you're writing a second book. What's that one about? So um, I wanted to write a book about, um, you know, having a sister with mental illness. And okay. I didn't have the bandwidth to write another memoir. So I'm writing this fiction. Awesome. Based on your experiences with your sister. Yeah, but it's fiction. So it's, you know, it is. But I, I think that's a, a story that needs to be told. Mm -hmm. amazing um so you mentioned that there's not much in the way of grief support and literature for surviving siblings <clears throat> how can we be more inclusive and more supportive and more educative it's it's definitely improving since 1981. Mm -hmm. um, more and more siblings are sharing their stories and writing books. Um, the um, Compassionate Friends has a big sibling presence. Bereaved Parents has siblings. The Cope Foundation has a sibling presence. So there's more and more coming out. And um, there's certainly Facebook groups mm -hmm. for these organizations. So um, I think because of the pandemic, you know, a lot of these Facebook groups started in Zoom groups. And there's, um, like I said, I'm in a book club. There's a writing group. So there's certainly more and more out there. There's certainly more and more podcasts, you know, involving siblings and siblings sharing their stories. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm grateful that more and more people are comfortable in sharing their stories. So, um I think I'm I'm just glad that, you know, I encourage any sibling who has a story, share it. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, you know, in, in these groups. So, you know, when there's, you know, there's whatever it is that, you know, even on a Facebook group, you might find somebody, you know, even to private message and connect with one other person. So there's a lot of, you know, whatever, you know, you're comfortable with, there yeah. are a lot more options which is, which is, which is great. Awesome. Is there anything else that you would like to add to our conversation today? You know, I think, um, you know, just be kind to yourself and, you know, grief is grief is a journey and, you know, everybody's, as I say in my book, there's no recipe for grief that everybody's journey is their own and, you know, just be compassionate to yourself and take the time that you need. And it's never too late. <laughs> yeah. Even if it's 30, 40 years, <laughs> that's amazing. Where can people find you and learn about your book and, and your story? Um, they can go to my website, www.judylipson.org. Perfect. And your your newer book comes out when? 
Oh, I'm I'm still in the process. I'm still writing it. Okay. <laughs> so it'll be just, but it will be on your website, right? When it comes out. Yes. 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 Awesome. So look forward to check out Judy's um, already published book about her sisters, the memoir and her um, celebration of sisters. It's never too late to grieve. And also check back with her website to keep tabs on her progress for her new book. Um, I think that's all, unless you have anything else to add to your story, to your advice. Anything like that? I think we're good. Awesome. <laughs> Judy, thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the work that you've done to not only to grieve and honor your own grief and your sisters, but also the educating and advocating that you've done on behalf of others who mourn their siblings as well. So that's all the time we have for today. Have a fantastic day whenever you're listening to this. And remember that grief is your own and it doesn't matter how long it takes. You can always grieve and restore and make beautiful things out of your grief experiences. Thank you everyone for tuning in and listening to or watching this episode of Share Your Story, exploring humanity one heart at a time. As you know, this is a podcast where we share real-life experiences of converting grief into growth. I wanted to take some time to share my gratitude to everyone who has supported me along the way. Thank you to my guests who have shown up and allowed me to delve into their personal experiences of grief, growth, and transformation. I appreciate your courage, authenticity, and openness in sharing your stories. I have learned so much from each of you. Thank you to my editors and producers, the Pod2Go team and Chad Nedland, who have helped take a tremendous load off my shoulders and kept me going as a podcaster. Their support has allowed me to do what I do best, connecting with others and taking a deep exploratory dive into grief experiences, showcasing not only how unique an individual grief is, but also how we can convert our grief into growth and goodness. And thank you to my listeners and audience. Our stories are meant to be shared, and without people like you to receive our stories, it can be tougher to express them. Most of all, I want to thank my amazing husband and kids for always supporting me and encouraging me in the work that I do. They have been incredible about keeping noise levels to a minimum while I'm recording, not always an easy feat. And they are amazing listeners when I give them the lows and highs of my experiences, from individual episodes to the process as a whole. Because of some major changes in my personal life, I have been dedicating my time, attention, and resources to my home and family. As a result, starting in September, I will be taking a sabbatical from releasing new content for the Share Your Story podcast. In the interim, check out or revisit previously published episodes. Our grief changes with time, as do the circumstances of our lives. What may not have seemed pertinent before could jump out at you in a whole new way. A major component in converting grief into growth is to always be open to the lessons it has to teach you. Remember that all of our experiences make us who we are, 
They are perfectly tailored to help us become the best versions of ourselves and to help us reach our fullest potential. You can turn your grief into growth. You are known and loved in more ways than you could ever imagine. Your voice matters. So share your story 